What's going on, everyone? All about the data podcast. We back with another one. You already know we got another special guest in the building for y'all. And we got Lucky back in the building. Welcome back. Hi, everyone. <laughs> hey, I already know that there's two times for my twin Shanice. She can't be in the building today. So we're going to represent and hold it down for her. We got Mr. Jafar Campbell back with us. You know the vibes. We outside getting our data on. <laughs> yep. And we are definitely not outside. We are inside doing this podcast. <laughs> Jesus <laughs> But we got our special guest, Gabrielle, with us today. What's going on, y'all? What's going on? What's going on? So happy to be here with y'all. Yes, we are happy to have you. Gabrielle, I'm just going to go ahead and introduce you right quick. The class of 2019 graduate of Tulane University for Public Health and Tropical Medicine, where you obtained your MPH in epidemiology. I can never get that word right. <laughs> I hope I said it right. You can epidemiology. Now, talk me. Listen, now, I paid good money for that degree now. Okay, yeah. listen. Yeah, see, that's now, why I got to get it right. We in hard times now. Epidemiology. Okay, epidemiology, <laughs> specializing in infectious disease um, while enrolled. Uh, you were also the 2018 to 2019 Albert Switzer Fellow, if I said that right. And yeah, you were yeah. also invited to present your research entitled HIV and Intersexuality, um, which is how social identities influence very incident rates of HIV among Black side gender and transgender women and the need for comprehensive data collection. So you definitely got to introduce, uh, and def- you got definitely got an interesting background and I would love for you to introduce yourself even more things that we missed, things that you want people to know about yourself. Go ahead, Gabrielle, talk to the people. Listen, I appreciate y'all. You know, you got to tie me up. I appreciate you. We, <laughs> us in the South, we, we few and far between as far as epidemiology goes. Um, yeah. But yeah, I'm, my name is Gabrielle Perry. I'm 29 years old. Um, born and raised in these bayous down here in Louisiana. Um, like you said, I am whew, three years into this epidemiology thing. Uh, I work as an epidemiologist and clinical data analyst. Um, I work for a national healthcare system. Not gonna blow up the spot too much. Um, it's getting real tough out here for us in public health. They sending they sending death threats to people. You know what yeah. y'all see what y'all see on the news and all that kind of stuff with the crazy COVID people. That is real life. Um, so I'm not gonna say where I work. You know, but I work for a national healthcare system. Um, I basically um, data today analyze uh, public health strategies in um, both infectious and chronic diseases. Um, and for those people who really don't know, I know we three years into the pandemic and all that good stuff, a lot of people who, who don't really know what an epidemiologist is. Um, we epidemiologists basically studies the distribution and determinants of diseases. A lot of people think that diseases happen just randomly. A lot of people still think that <laughs> given that we in the pandemic, but they don't. There's a there's a formula to these things. We we tend to be the, the intersect between um, tech and public health. Um, I also am the founder and executive director of the Thurman Perry Foundation. So we are a Louisiana based nonprofit operating nationally in service to women and girls impacted by incarceration, of which I am one. So I came from the jailhouse to grad school to tech. So that's me. 
conference ducks and two things i want to point out yeah. one wow you only 29 killing the game like this already <laughs> 29 as of Jeez. january this year i'm not i'm trying to try to make this last that's last year count of the 20s they say they say when you hit 30 you know you wake <laughs> up and, you, and your hip pop out the socket that day i could vouch for it i wake up i feel like i need you know Remember that Wizard of Oz slide me some oil? I, I need some oil, right? <laughs> <laughs> I feel a little rusty. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, now you was right about the infectious disease too. It's, it's funny, I actually did a lot of research on that since COVID started and just realizing the cycle of like the every 100 years to every 50 years and like you know how how other pandemics were handled. Um, it was a pretty interesting study too, though. Um, I did it for the sake of my own personal study, so I can understand for myself. Um, so I'm glad to have you on here. Maybe we can get some sneak peeks. <laughs> but, and when the next one coming, who knows? Shy could huh? be tomorrow. The way they acting out here, I don't know. Uh, but <laughs> I mean, you know, I like I said, like, and you know, it's crazy. Like when I was researching it and they was talking about um, influenza mm-hmm. and how influenza was like, like the whole 1918 to 1920 mm-hmm. era. And I was like, wow, this pandemic started in 2019. It basically was on time <laughs> in the <this laughs> sense. It basically came like right at the prediction mark, which was, that, that was like shocking to me. It's insane. I like, I, I really did not realize I think that because we're we're so a lot of things came into play into how we we have handled COVID as a society as a public health community. I think that we have gotten so insulated and so comfortable with technology with with our advances in medicine um, that we forget what are we sixty years from the invention of penicillin six sixty five years. Um, like things like that, like we we really are not that far away from these things. The last major pandemic, especially a hundred years ago, like we there there are people who are still alive who still remember that. There are people who are still alive who were vaccinated for polio. People who who my 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 brother is in the air force, and the people who are in the air force still have to get vaccinated for smallpox. Like, and it's been eradicated for a very long time. But there's still sex of the world who still have to get vaccinated for these things. Yeah. We are at, at at any given moment, at any given time, we are teetering on the edge of these advances, just it, just not being valid anymore. Yeah, and I think people don't realize how, how how these wins in medicine and, and were so hard fought. These things don't just happen, and so I I I just don't understand. You know the the apprehension to it. I think that you know we we do the medical community a disservice. We do each other a disservice by not realizing that a lot of things had to sync together over a very large period of time for us to get to this moment where we can mobilize as a human race as quickly as we have to even have not just one vaccine, but multiple vaccines together, multiple tools together to work to save each other. But 
I definitely understand because, you know, but it's crazy because it was actually getting into data that made mm. me look deeper into these things because, you know, it's easy to go with what everybody's saying on the Internet. But when you go actually look at the data, you can make sense of what's going on and mm-hmm. and, you know, like studying data changed my whole perspective on that but you know yeah that that is kind of a different topic within itself even though it's not because you're in that field but we're gonna (laughs) get to the show um interesting enough you said this in your introduction but i found out um recently and when i saw your pinned tweet for the first oh, time, I actually, before this interview, Not I actually you watched Twitter your Twitter deep dives. <laughs> yeah, no, we had, you know, we had to, you know, it's, it's an interview about your brand, about you. But like, it's funny because I followed you, but I'd never watched your pin tweet till I had a research for this interview. And I was like, oh, wow, you actually have a whole story. So a powerful story at that. So I would love for you to expound on, you know, like the whole process of like, you know, incarceration coming out of incarceration getting into data getting to where you are now like you know how did you do it what like what kept you going uh so my pen tweet at least i'm proud of my pen. I, I thought she was about to like go on some like some some deep dives like listen i've been on twitter a while okay That's like, <laughs> you know, i've been on twitter since the since what, what they call it sometimes the old days of twitter the the, the lawless yeah. days of twitter i've been on there <laughs> 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 uh, I've been on Twitter since you can text a tweet. Uh, <laughs> ooh. But yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> them days, <laughs> them days of Twitter. I thought you would do like some deep dives. Um, <laughs> um so me being twenty nine. So I, I'm, I'm gonna keep this as concise as possible because when you start talking about like incarceration when you start talking about these things these things i'm very very passionate about especially as it pertains to women it's incarceration we're so erased in that regard so i'm 29 i was arrested a week after my 21st birthday um uh for a non-violent non-drug related uh charge i had essentially stole some money um not a super large sum of money um, but I stole some money because literally was just trying to survive. Uh, my father, who my nonprofit organization now is named after, um, had died of cancer. And in the years after he had died, it was just the destruction of every bit of normalcy in in my life, in my elderly mother's life, because I was adopted at birth and my parents were older when I was adopted. Um, I was his primary caretaker. I was my mother's primary caretaker and still am. Um, when he died, my mother was just, just being able to relearn how to walk from uh, a rheumatoid arthritis uh, diagnosis. So like medicine, public health had, had was always a part of my life. I've been their primary caretaker since I was nine years old. His death, we lost my childhood home. Um, by the time I hit college, I was having people at school which was three hours away like try to drive me back I had neighbors looking after her trying to take care of her and I was their only kid together so it was really just me and I just didn't have any help at all and so was just trying to make a way trying to make it work and of course I got caught as you tend to um 
and never denied it. <laughs> Confessed immediately. <laughs> very, very first 48. I was just like, I mean, whatever. Yeah, I did it. <laughs> um, and so upon my arrest, I remember they, it, it wasn't even the, it wasn't even getting arrested. That was the hard part. It was the aftermath. I always tell people, and I, I literally wrote about it in my um, personal statement to get into grad school. The nicest people I ever met were the women in the pink jail cell at East Baton Rouge Parish Prison. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm in there, I'm in like a, a oversized tee and workout tights and sneakers and I'm hyperventilating because I'm freaking out. And um, I had I had just had like just enough presence of mind to like write down like one person's phone number that I knew that I could call to let someone know that I was there. And they're looking at me like, girl, like, are you OK? Like, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just in there just freaking out. And once they uh, once you're in there for a while, I think I'd been in there maybe 12 hours or so. They take you back to the back. Once I got back to the back, there were a bunch of women in there who had been there for a while. And you're just in there. And I hadn't eaten all day. Um, they didn't have enough inventory as far as like blankets and pillows and stuff like that goes. And these women just kind of saw me sitting there and they had snacks hidden and they gave me some. They gave me food. They just walked up to me and gave me food and they gave me extra blankets and they gave me extra pillows. And they would check on me every few, like maybe every 20 minutes or so. And they did that until I was bonded out. And when I was bonded out, so commenced many years of discrimination, like housing discrimination, because people don't realize it, it was it was many years until um, the wheels of justice turned until my case uh, was able to be um, to be handled because they hit me with 27 felonies. Um, <laughs> and. The judge ended up, because I was a first-time nonviolent offender, the judge ended up having mercy on me. He saw that I was going above and beyond with my community service and whatnot during the interim. Um, there's a statute in Louisiana, hard fought by activists to put that law in the books. that said, if you're a first-time nonviolent offender, we're going to lower this to misdemeanor. Ended up getting it down, you know, and I ended up, I was blessed enough to be able to pay the $3,000 to get my record expunged like five years later. Um, and, but in, in, the, in those, in the in-between times, I was homeless because um, no one would rent to me. I didn't have any money because I couldn't get a job because even just having the arrest, even without the conviction on your record, even just having the arrest in this country is enough to ensure that you cannot get public housing, you cannot get, you know, private housing. Because people can see that, people can see the arrest. Um, and it was very public, like people on Twitter would like harass me about it. Um, people came to the house I was staying in at the time before I was homeless and like um, pinned, like printed out copies of my mugshots in my door or like taped it to my door and just harassed me about it. People harassed me all over campus about it. Um, and it was it was just a lot. It was a lot of ostracism and it. And it was I, I compare it now when I when I when we talk to the women that we help, I compare it now to the very stark contrast in how men are treated. Cause you can be you can be the hood's hero. You can be, you know, we make shows about 
men who are, you know, coming out of jail, they get, they get to be, the, you, your redemption story is already written for you. There's jobs waiting for you. There's housing vouchers waiting for you. There's halfway houses for you to go to. There's not that for women. That does not exist for women. And at least not in the droves that it does for men. And it was just, it was, it was incredibly difficult. It was incredibly difficult. I remember being homeless and staying in this abandoned shotgun house um, on my church's property at the time. And they turned the electricity on, they turned the water on for me, but the pipes were rusted. And so um, the water wasn't potable. So I could, I would, I would still bathe in it, but I couldn't drink it. Um, and I remember I would get up at like 5 a.m. every day because a church member gave me a job at like this little, this little restaurant, if you want to call it that, that they were running near the Exxon plant to feed the Exxon workers in the mornings. They were only open from like six to two every day. And um, I walked like three miles every day in the morning, pitch black, dark to go work there. And they only paid me like a hundred dollars a week. And mm. I did that for maybe like six months. And then I finally caught a break. I got an unpaid internship at Southern University. I worked for a man in the chemistry department um, and with a cancer research internship, no less. And he was the one who wrote, um, he wrote my letter of recommendation to get my state scholarships restored. In Louisiana, we have something called top scholarships that every student is entitled to if you're an in-state resident. And he wrote the letter of recommendation for me to get those restored so I can go back to school. He wrote the letter of recommendation for me to go back to school. And I was able to finish two degrees, two undergrad degrees in one. And I stayed with a distant family member um, and I finished school. And while I was in undergrad, my penultimate semester, um, I was trying to figure out like what the next move was going to be because I fin I was finishing up in my undergrad degrees in biology and in general science with a concentration in chemistry. And the most you can do with that is go be like a, a, a teacher somewhere, you know, high school teacher somewhere or something like that. You can't do too much with it. <laughs> um, and I was trying to figure out what the next move was going to be. I'd always been good at science. And I always liked it. Um, and, you know, for black kids, we're, we're really given such limited options. Like, we're saying, okay, well, go be an engineer, go be a doctor, and, you know, suck it up and be happy. And that's, we were really just given such limited options. And I remember learning about the epidemiology program at Tulane. And I'd always had... I'd always seen Tulane as this um, ivory tower school. It's a private, very, very expensive school, but a very prestigious school in my state. And I always just kind of just looked at it as like, oh, I could never go somewhere like that. And um, I remember applying. I think at the time it had like a 12% acceptance rate. So I was like, okay, shot in the dark. Let's do it. Um, and I remember the day I got my acceptance letter. And I was in, I was in Ochem lab, just fighting for my life. Just, I was in Ochem, Ochem 2 lab, actually, um, absolutely fighting for my life in there. Um, and it just pinged to my phone, the acceptance letter. I was just checking my phone before class started. 
And I remembered it was like it was like just like a shift in the atmosphere. Like from that day forward, it was just like everything changed. And I remember going to grad school. I was the only black girl. It was me. It was a it was another black girl from Arkansas who was in the epidemiology program. But I uh, unfortunately I think she ended up flunking out because I remember after like first semester. Um, she would like study with us a little bit, but I remember like she was really struggling. We just never saw her too much after that. I think she transferred. Pro- we didn't see her for a while and then she came back, but I don't think she was in our program no more. Um, but it was just, I was the only black girl in the program after that. And it was me and a boy from Nigeria. It was just me and him. Um, shout to Nigeria. Shout to Nigeria. It was just me and him holding it down to the graduation. Um, and I remember being there and being very scared, too, because I had always math was this was the subject that I had always been the weakest in. I still excelled in it, but it was something I always had to focus the most in. Science came easy to me. English came very, very easy to me. But math was always something that was like, wow. So I was like, wow, OK, I just chose like the most math heavy subject ever. But I got to grad school and epidemiology came very, very easy to me. And I remember being there and being like the first one to raise my hand in class, like the first one getting in. It's like just really, it just coming to me very, very easy. And I sat down one day and I tried to figure out why, especially because in epidemiology programs, you have epidemiology and then you have biostats. And those are your, your two core classes. They go together like peanut butter and jelly. And I remember being in biostats and that's where I was like, it was like I was catapulted back to like high school algebra, just trying to like figure it out, like taking being it, it coming to me, but it coming to me slower. And I sat down and I tried to figure out why, because it's the same material. It's the exact same material, almost the exact same problems. And then I realized why it came easier to me in epidemiology. And it was because epi is math. It's, but it's math applied to real world issues. It's math applied to medicine. It's math applied to what we're living through now with this COVID pandemic. And I think that that's something that more black people need to be exposed to. That once you realize like, hey, this is a field that exists, number one, and two, that it's not so intimidating if it's something that you love, if it's something that has real world implications. You're not just sitting down and doing math all day long. Like this is something that really matters. Like this is something, because what, what do we hear all the time? Hey, when are you ever going to use this? Okay, well, we're using it right now in the worst pandemic in a century. I'm doing exactly what I was doing in grad school. My books have come to life. <laughs> so... um I, I, as soon as I graduated, um, the original plan was a PhD because in grad school, that's what they, that's what they kick at you. Just PhD, PhD, PhD. I worked as a scribe for a while in the ER. And, but after that, and not, and not very long after that, um, I got recruited to my current job because, um, they love to recruit. And What's I your current job? Like what you do? So, um, Every day I've been promoted, like I've been promoted once, but I've got three raises since. And like in, in those raises, it's kind of like mini promotions. Man, let me like, some. Listen, <laughs> it's tough out here, player. Listen, <laughs> like, 
in them in them promotions, it's like mini raises. And so it requires me to like know a little bit more. And so every day I'm doing mainly Power BI. So it's dashboard. Like right now we dashboard, dashboard heavy. Um, so a lot of hard coding, a lot of DAX formulas in Power BI. Anybody listening to this, learn Power BI. Learn Power BI. <laughs> I, I, I came you out of learn, learn, learn Tableau, guys. Tableau. Man, look. I didn't <laughs> know. Okay, listen. Listen, learn Tableau. Learn Tableau because sometimes you're going to have to pull data from Tableau. I have to pull data from Tableau to put into Power BI. That's fine. Learn oh Tableau. My God. Learn Tableau. Whatever. But here's the thing, though. Here's the thing, though. When I was in grad school, and apparently this has changed, I've been told this about current Tulane students. When I was in grad school and we was at Tulane, they was like, listen, you better learn SAS. If you don't learn SAS, baby, you ain't nobody going to hire you. You're going to die broke. Listen, we, we separating the men from the boys in here. I don't even know what y'all came here for if you ain't trying to learn SAS, baby. So I, I was in there with an iPhone 6 I could barely turn on, like, <laughs> like try, just fighting for my life trying to learn SAS. So I graduated. With knowing SAS, thinking I would only ever have to know SAS as an epidemiologist. And I came out, okay, I got a job now. Now I need to know SAS. And baby got hired and they basically hit me with a Jada Kiss laugh and said, here you go, baby. We're going to need you to go ahead and learn Power BI. Back when Power BI was in like the beta test version. Like mm. I, I was learning Power BI back when we were beta testing it at my job. And like bro so now but it, but it was good for me though because now not only do you need to know power bi power bi forces you to learn ArcGIS mapping which which pay mm -hmm. if you know how to do mapping because everybody loves visuals people don't know what you're talking about when you're doing a bunch right. of like that people don't people love visuals people who are data illiterate love visuals um uh, power bi forces you to to learn other things because where are you getting this data from? You got to pull it. And how are you going to pull it? SQL. How are you going to pull it? Python. How are you going to pull it? Tableau. How are you going to oh. pull it? JSON. It's compatible with everything. So learn Power BI because it's the, it, it's the key to learning everything else because you eventually going to have to know it. So... Yeah. So do you but, know SQL since you brought it up? I do know SQL. I prefer okay. a Toad SQL. Um, I like I like the Toad program. Um, so mm -hmm. we do we use Toad in my well we use multiple things because like some people like Oracle SQL. We use we use the Toad program and we just pull from there. Um, okay. Via our data you. via our data warehouses. That's what we use. I got you. So uh, so I'm gonna get into this uh, next question. Um, and then I I kind of wanted you to just. To say your job title real quick before I ask so my question. official job title <laughs> is um, clinical data manager. Okay, okay. Nice. But you started <laughs> as an analyst and worked your way I up. Started as an analyst. Yeah. Okay, so got gotcha. you. An all right. But so, my whole um, team, we all epidemiologists, yeah. and we have two physicians, and then one one health analyst and one PhD. So that's our whole team. Got you. Okay, we holding it down for the epidemiologists. Epidemiologists, but that's what's up. Though I'm glad. Um, is and you know I'm glad we got you on because we just try to. One thing that I'm firm on is you know showing people that data is everywhere. You know you can merge it with your background. So um, but you got an interesting story, and 
you should definitely write a book if you haven't. If you did, <laughs> I need to buy it. But uh, we got what a couple things I would do. Store. We got a couple things in store. Okay, okay. We wait and then Gabrielle Perry, don't forget about us being number one New York. Oh, New God. <laughs> Make sure you put our podcast in there. I went on. Listen, the I don't forget cards. nobody. I don't forget nobody when, we, <laughs> when I'm out here balling, you know, right. at the check cashing place. For no, sure. Don't <laughs> forget y'all. I don't know. You said you got three razors. I said, let me hold some right here. No, <laughs> <laughs> but but what uh but what what kept you motivated like during that whole time frame of being homeless and just everything you went through like what what in your mindset gabrielle you gotta make it happen i wish i could tell you something incredibly like positive and and nah, we want authentic we want you authentic. i'm not gonna lie to you like if any if any basketball fans listening, like I was very Michael Jordan at the Hall of Fame with a list of haters in his pocket, just absolutely on some just I got something to prove. Fuck all y'all. Like I don't like just pure spite. Like I that carried me through. It really did. There were so many people wanting me to fail. There were so many people wanting me to fail. And I don't fail. I do not fail. There is no quit in me. I, heard I that. had never <laughs> failed at nothing in my life. I do everything well. Everything I do is excellent. All right, y'all hear them affirmation words. Now I, I got to write that <laughs> down. After that. <laughs> Look in the mirror like, I ain't never failed. What you mean? And I tell people I, the most clarity I ever had was when I was homeless because everything now is, is honestly much more difficult because it's like a game of chess. I'm trying to figure out what I can do within the confines of other things. <sighs> Work, the foundation, trying to figure out how these other things fit with other things. Back then, it was like checkers. It was just, okay, well, what, just what move gets to the next move? And, this, and it was just a very, it was a very much a straight line. And I knew everything I needed to do to get to where I wanted to be. And I just let life be my teacher. And I just kept moving and kept getting to the next day. And even, even if I couldn't get to the next day, if I, if I just could get to the next moment, even back when I was just eating, back then I was just most days eating 99 cent shit bags and ice cream uh, pints from the Korean Mart next door to the house I was squatting in. Um, I would only eat a full meal on Wednesdays from the church because that was when they had, um, they, they, they would prepare meals for the seniors and I would volunteer because they always had leftovers. Um, and they would just, they would just let people who volunteered keep it. And if I if that was the only thing I ate fully that week, then that was the only thing I ate fully that week. And that was fine. That was fine at the time because I knew it wouldn't always be that way. I just knew that it, it would be fine. And I just never dwelled on it. I just kept going through the next day. And there were all these people who were so because I think that as we we look at poor people and we're just happy it's not us. And it's why my my foundation exists the way that it does. I do not believe in pity. I do not believe in looking at people, especially these women that we help, women who are impacted by incarceration. I refuse to look at these women 
the way that I was looked at. I just refused. I absolutely refused. And I remember feeling as though like just all this fury, like just absolute fury at the time. At anybody who would look at me and think that I was ever going to fail. The audacity of you, the audacity of you to think that I was ever going to be anything but this. Mm-hmm. So that's what got me through it. Yeah, that's powerful. That's that's you know, very much so. The show is, <laughs> it's all a mindset thing. That's all it is. So like I said, I wish I could be, you know, the the I, I know no, over no. me bringing on people that got the I, I it was absolute pettiness. <laughs> no, nah, but look, and it was <laughs> nah, but look, see, I, I look at it like you know, everybody, everybody's reason matters because it's always mm-hmm. somebody that's gonna relate to that. You know, everybody and I know can't you, I know everybody you can't come in here and say looking. everybody can't come say, Yeah, I did yoga and I meditate no. and I aff- affirmations in the mirror, like that's so I had common. middle fingers to the sky. Mm-hmm. No, I, I know you follow me on Twitter. Listen, who I who them tweets you see on Twitter, who I am on Twitter is exactly who I am in real life. I just hey. I just wanted you to be prepared for that. I probably hey. should email you that. <laughs> it's, it's, hey, it's it's you know, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like that's that's just how it is. That's how you know we keep it authentic, like you know. Like how I talk, I talk, how, how everybody talk, they talk, you know, saying I don't really try to impersonate myself. Even on Twitter, I keep it, keep it me. You know, I can't be nobody else. So that's how it is. You just being yourself. Honestly, that's what attract people to want to follow you is when they see you just being yourself. You ain't trying to impress yeah. nobody, you know. Flagging, no flagging. <laughs> no flagging. <laughs> no flagging. You ain't flagging. But yeah, let's keep it going though. Let's get back into the show. I like what like what's going on. I like what we're seeing. Yeah, I'll go ahead and take it from here. So um, in regards to the data, did you always have a knack for technology or were you naturally a curious person uh, leading up to your career? Definitely did not always have a knack for technology. I'll tell anybody who will listen, I'm the worst <laughs> millennial ever. Um, <laughs> mainly because I have a, I live by a mantra. If it ain't broke, why am I fixing it? I tend to mm-hmm. hold on to things. Um, I don't. My my mama was a bit of a hoarder uh, growing mm-hmm. up, and I think that's a consequence of a lot of our parents, uh, especially as black folks. Um, I, a lot of our parents, you know, either didn't know where the next things were coming from. I always say our like black folks invented recycling. We invented you know, <laughs> reuse, reuse, yeah. repurpose. And so if something broke, you fixed it or you found another way to use it. Right. And so my mama never really threw a bunch of stuff away and she just found a different way to use it. And mm-hmm. I find myself to be the same way. I don't, I'll, I'll work with whatever I got as long as I can try to get it fixed, do whatever. And I'm still that way. Um, whether it be cell phones, like I don't replace things unless I absolutely have to, I'll hold on to a mm-hmm. cell phone forever, a computer forever, uh, any piece of technology forever. And we'll just try to fix it. I don't know if that makes me tech minded or not, <laughs> um, but I will say I've always been a curious person. Mm-hmm. And I do think that if anything, this entire field has taught me patience. I haven't always been a patient person, but I think getting into this field too has taught me a lot of patience. Data, data, data analysis, especially, would teach you patience. So I think mm-hmm. that um, I've always been curious, haven't always been tech minded, and now I've become more patient. 
That's good to know. You can use that patience in a lot of different areas of life as well. Absolutely. I'm definitely not as frustrated with things because a lot mm-hmm. of the analysis, especially when you're talking about hard coding, like anybody talking about like not 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 you SAS enterprise guy girls. <laughs> we're not talking about you girls like pressing <laughs> buttons. And so we're talking about us hard coding girls, we're talking about <laughs> girls that are like doing it from scratch, we're talking about us girls, um, the <laughs> girls that are really hard coding out here, building it from scratch. Um when you spend time like really like trying to figure out errors in day, like trying to figure out where the mm-hmm. problem is, like that that really separates the men from the boys out here, honestly. Like when you got millions mm-hmm. of people in a data set, something is wrong and you don't know what, and it's due tomorrow. <laughs> and you up till midnight trying to figure out what it is wow mm-hmm. it'll teach you some patience it'll teach you some patience yeah that mm-hmm. sounds that sounds like a lot but i, I can see <laughs> if you get if you can get used to that that'll make i can see how that'll build up over time mm-hmm. <clears throat> that's much as far as your area of focus what made you choose epidemiology I think, honestly, um, it's flexibility. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always tell people it is so much you can do with it because one, I think when I tell people epidemiology, they'd be like, what's that? Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people guess skin doctor because they mm-hmm. confuse it with dermatology. Um, <laughs> I That's what that. I thought it was. <laughs> It's okay. Listen, that is the most common. Uh, skincare. It's the most common. <laughs> There's a shirt on Etsy right now that says epidemiology, not a skin doctor. I swear to God, it's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, my grandmother in Dallas told everybody, oh my God, y'all, Gabrielle just graduated from medical school, y'all. Oh my God. Um, when, I, when I finished grad school. <laughs> um, and, uh, but I think what, what gravitated me towards it is because it's flexibility because you very likely have met an epidemiologist and did not know it. Um, most hospitalists, uh, a lot of internists, the people who um, uh, are at hospitals who determine whether or not you're going upstairs or not um, tend to have epidemiology backgrounds. Everybody in the Department of Health is an epidemiologist. Um it, it, it just really is an incredibly flexible field. You can do anything with it. And I think a lot of people are just now, because of the pandemic, learning the tech side of it. You have mm-hmm. to know how to code. You have to know about data. The one thing that I hate and that I learned in grad school, or <laughs> the, I, I learned this in grad school, but I did not know how much of a disservice they're doing these kids until I really got like deep into my career is that in grad school, what they offer a lot of these kids who are say in like a community health program, if they're in like a maternal child health program, these are programs that are also considered public health. Um, They will offer these kids what's called like an epi certificate or a biostatistics certificate um, in lieu of getting the full degree. Now, look, I know the girls on Twitter every day saying, hey, just get a certificate in this, get a certificate in this, you know, (laughs) or get certified in this and whatnot. I'll put it like my Epi 2 professor told me. Anybody can crunch some numbers. 
You know, anybody can make some numbers do numbers. But it's the sophistication of thought. That's her exact word. It's the sophistication of thought that makes you an epidemiologist. Nobody's going to hire somebody with an epi certificate, somebody with a biostat certificate over a, over a biostatistician, over an epidemiologist. Mm. And they doing you, they scamming you, like they scamming you. That is yeah. a scam. And I think that, and honestly, you doing yourself a disservice because this is like some things in tech. I, I, I think what really attracted me to the field is that it's really, it's really a family in this field. Like it, it, it's the black women that I have met, the people that I have met, period. The, the women of color I've met in this field have really we're so few and far between like we really support each other even before I had even graduated um when I went to conferences and stuff they were like see it through see it through see it through and we we here waiting on you and and they were there waiting on me and I just from that day to this one like we we it's just a feel like no other. It really is. It's, it's, it's support like no other. And then especially in the times that we living in now, I, I just needed that support. Plus mm-hmm. with, the, with these, with the career advancement, there's like, honestly, there's no reason I should be 29 and have had three raises in, in the time period that you I have. go, girl. Okay. But it's because Love of that career it. advancement. It's because <laughs> of that career advancement. It's because of the networking opportunities. It's because people looking out for me. It's because of us looking, all looking out for each other. Like, there's such a dearth of us here, and we all trying to make a way for each other. Mm-hmm. And so I'm really glad that I stuck with it. I'm really glad that I found this field and... I'm just, I'm just blessed. Mm-hmm. Oh, we're blessed so, to have you on here. Definitely. <laughs> so even, so after you got the degree, like mm-hmm. how difficult was it for you to get a job, like given the background and everything? So I, I will say this. So my record was expunged in 2019, the spring of 2019. Um, it's a process that is incredibly difficult as it stands. In fact, I am on a coalition that has been working for two years in the state of Louisiana um, for Clean Slate. And this is a coalition that's honestly nationwide that is working in mm-hmm. all different states to ensure that those who qualify can have their records expunged automatically. It's already passed in Utah, Colorado's going for it. And because Louisiana incarcerates the most people per capita in the entire world, we're trying like there's no reason why I should have had to pay three thousand dollars to get my record exposed. Like there's no reason. That's the highest cost in the entire nation. And had I and, and like in the video that um, that Jamal was referring to, I specifically stated to the legislation that I would not be an epidemiologist had I not gotten my record expunged. It, it would not have happened. My job requires security clearance. Um, it requires background checks um it, it wouldn't have happened 
it would not. In fact, even even when my record was expunged, because uh, you can Google my name right now, a lot of things will come up since I, I've been interviewed on a lot of things. My boss is fully aware of, of my past and she's fully aware of what I do now, fully aware of this interview occurring right now. Hey, um, shout out to the boss. Shout out to the boss lady. <laughs> um, she's fully aware of, you know, how public my persona is and all that good stuff. Um, because I would never want her to be blindsided and whatnot. But before this, yeah. um, people had tried, like people had contacted like my school before. People had tried to like get me fired from things and whatnot. People had sent my mugshot to a professor and um, uh, not, 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 not to my professor. People had sent my mugshot to the school, my undergrad school, and told them that I was um, cheating on a file that hadn't even been made yet. Like, like my, my, my professor was like, I haven't even made this file yet. So what the fuck is even ha- happening? <laughs> like people people were very very just petty and weird about things and it's why people don't even people, people don't even talk about their experiences as formerly incarcerated people which is why most people do not realize that a third of all americans have a criminal record 49 mm-hmm. percent of my entire state has a criminal record Half of all Louisianians have a criminal record, but you would never know those kind of things. People keep those things under wraps because it can literally destroy your life. Like people are incredibly petty in the information age. Like people, if they don't like you or if they don't or if they just need something to do, we're we're all online. We're all on the Internet. And if people just, you know, want to be hateful one day, I have, I think, 15,000 followers across all my social media. People hate the fact that I'm constantly advocating for formerly incarcerated people. And so. I'm, I have to be very open about my past because in that honesty, it one protects me. Cause like I said, my boss is aware of who I am mm-hmm. and it also protects the people that we work with, like that, that, that we help in this coalition, uh, in terms of, but before that trying to get a job, it was, it, it was damn near impossible. And that also speaks to why we do the work that we do because the tech industry itself tries to it it tries to market itself and and it is often heralded as the ones spearheading change in that arena like you hear about places like google especially going directly into the prison system especially out in california going directly out into the prison system recruiting directly inside of there but reports from places like um, Prison Policy Initiative, for example, which is a nonprofit, um, nonpartisan think tank that does research on these things. They report on these types of things. Places that purport to be friendly to people with felonies, to people who are formerly incarcerated and whatnot, are actually either not hiring formerly incarcerated talent at all, or when they do, they only hire men. And so my experiences prior to getting my record expunged <sighs> had I not gotten expunged it honestly it, it, it th- we wouldn't be sitting here we wouldn't, we wouldn't be talking to each other we would not be mm-hmm. talking to each other at all it would it, and it's such a compounded issue for women because you deal with so many different things like I, I remember being sexually harassed by hiring managers like when i was trying to get a job because they knew that i was just some black girl that couldn't get hired 
Mm -hmm. Um, I think that, um, that same thing, think I mentioned, they call it the, uh, the prison penalty because the demographic most unlikely to get hired after being incarcerated is black women, despite the fact that black men are the most likely demographic to be incarcerated. Once they come out, they are more likely to get hired than black women. Black women by a wide margin are the least likely of all demographics to get hired. And it's disgusting. It's disgusting. Yeah. You know, you know, that thing too, it's like, I I always found that weird because, you know, as a person of the faith and just as a person of morality in general, it's like, yeah, you did something, whatever, but you already served your time or you already faced your consequence. Like it shouldn't be affecting you after you already that went through your consequence. Like it shouldn't be a stamp that yeah. like this person outside the community forever now. Like, cause then yeah. what's yeah. like, what's the point in the what's consequence? The point of doing for, yeah. What's the point yeah. of doing for five years? What, I'm telling you the biases don't end. For example, like my nonprofit, we, so we work directly inside the prisons for one of our programs. It's called girl code. And one of the prisons that we donate uh, to they have a, one of the universities is sponsoring a program that basically they have a com- like they give computers to the men who were incarcerated there. Like it's like a 10 week program. They let the men work with the computers. They let them do job training. They let them do all types of stuff. And at the end of the 10 weeks or so, the men get to keep the computers. And I say men because this is a co-ed facility. There are women there, too. But the women don't have access to this program. And Mm so that is a consequence of the mass incarceration epidemic only being synonymous with men. So very likely whoever thought of this program just figured, okay, well, we'll just approach the men about it. There are women at this facility too. We donate to them. We donate products to them. So why do the women who, you know, face a, who could use job training, who could use like their literacy improve, like, why are they not having access to this program to the point where my organization is trying to figure out how we can donate computers to them because that's not fair. And that's yeah. not right. I think I think because the system was, uh, was, you know, the system wasn't designed for us, which is his own topic. But mm-hmm. you know, I think uh, it's, it's definitely there's <laughs> definitely a lot of bias, and you know, a lot hopefully, of bias. Ho- hopefully, with you know your organization and others, you know, it'll change for the next generation because within each generation, it has to be advocates. It has to be the Martin Luther Kings and the you know, the Coretta Scott's and all, it got to be people in every generation that make it better for the next. So, you know, we your do contribution. Try. We do try. We do try. My lived yeah. experiences, we at least, I try to combine my experiences as a formerly incarcerated woman with my experiences as an epidemiologist. My yeah. organization, Thermal Prayer Foundation, we are the only organization in the U.S. that is addressing the menstrual health of incarcerated women. So we donate on a monthly basis, organic cotton menstrual health products to incarcerated women. We show up to the prisons every month, like mm-hmm. clockwork. And since launching that program, our girl code program in September, we've donated 40,000 products to incarcerated hey. women. Um, I mean, it's, it's crazy. And we then- I'm going to see how we could get all about the data to contribute towards towards Listen, the contribution. Nah, we, we can talk that. <laughs> yeah, nah, we're going we gonna to talk some more. Or now, listen, know, I, y'all I want like, a scholarship in y'all name, too. Listen, now, y'all want to <laughs> Hey, 
Because it's we almost scholarship season for us now. We're trying to get some more data people out there. I always tell people, I, people have this this misconception of 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 what formerly incarcerated people can be. We just awarded fifteen thousand dollars in scholarships just this month to um, women all over the country. Formerly incarcerated women, currently incarcerated women. We give scholarships to women who are currently Ooh, incarcerated. Giving right scholarships to nice. women who are in the prison system, yeah. and we give scholarships to their daughters. So we give scholarships to like the daughters of people who are currently incarcerated. And three of the women that we awarded, and these are women across ele- um, ten states for this year. Um, three of the women that we awarded, one, two of them are computer science majors, and. Um, one of them, I think, is an engineering major, and one of them is a formerly incarcerated woman. She is currently working as an intern at Disney and is trying nice. to pave the way for other formerly incarcerated women. So it's all about, yeah. listen, so you want to you yeah, wanna dedicate so, all hey. about the data scholarship? Now nah, we could, you know, whatever you want to do, you know, talk to Yeah, we, we could do that. We could do that. You know, like, we, <laughs> we, we could set up a You know, marinate on it. You know, marinate, parking Marinate. Hey, you know? hey, that's that hey, Nola Slay. Let me tell that. you. you know, my my biggest destiny my biggest purpose beyond everything is is helping people you know as a follower of christ is what i do so like i I believe your 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 foundation is doing that you know um it's it's helping out people that you know they're gonna have unnecessary uncommon sense to me issues when they get out because they already done did their time that's like you go in there you do five years now you still got to come out and struggle I think it's designed because they want you to go back in there, but that's a whole nother topic too. Um, but yeah, we could talk about that. I'm with that. The scholarship, the whatever we could do, I'm with that. So we'll talk more after this podcast. But um, where we was at with it, let's get back to the show. All about the data, baby. It's going yeah. down. <laughs> but uh, I'm really liking this this conversation, though. Me too. Really me too. I got some great questions. <laughs> yeah, you know, we be on it. Hmm. Um, dang, I forgot it was my question. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Look at that stuff. Um, so cool. Could you could you give us uh in and out of like your day to day as a as a clinical data manager and tell us the Power BI stuff because I represent Power BI. <laughs> I mean, um, yeah, strong I, second on that one. I told you, boy. Listen, I didn't know if this was gonna be t- the technicalities of it. Cause <laughs> so I wake up every day um, about six a.m. Uh, I make a full breakfast because right now my whole company, I I really love my job. They they care a lot about us. I'm very blessed to work at the job, a company that cares a lot about. Us. We've been in, on mandatory work at home um, for two years. They have shut the entire company down. We they're they literally selling off buildings to ensure that we all stay safe, and have switched the entire company into a uh, either a hybrid mode or you have a choice of working at home. Um, everybody just got uh, uh, company wide raises. Um, I mean they they really they really doing it up for us. Um, so I have been switched now because I used to commute to work every day. Uh, to my office, but I am just kind of really like truly settling into my work at home uh, life. So I wake up at 6 a.m. every day, um, fix myself a full breakfast, then I walk um, 10 feet to my bed, get (laughs) back in bed, and log into work. (laughs) (laughs) Facts, facts. (laughs) Um, 
and mainly oh my god i'm working on so many projects um oh jesus my day can mainly because i i like the fact i think that my job is mainly like we really do like consist of like teamwork like if every day is like us working in teams like even though we are a team but there's there's three of us primarily that are analysts like we mm-hmm. we the coders like we we the ones that do like the data so any given day we all got to check in with each other and figure out like who's doing what who's doing this and where we are with the given project i have like five dashboards going right now um and all of them are public facing uh, or forward facing rather meaning that i share them out um with the entire company and so and probably refresh them at least on a monthly basis. Um, and so for me, they're all, I, I just, my, my tool of choice is Power BI. Um, just because of the ease of use, I'm trying, just because I, we're, we're really in a learning phase right now where I'm trying to teach everybody at the company like how to use it or at least how to how to interpret what I'm doing because you know you have Power BI desktop which is for architects and then you have Power BI service which is for the other people to like see what you're doing and so <laughs> it's a bit of a learning curve like for the bosses because they weren't taught like what this is like why mm. all of us like all the architects and stuff like we were in two years ago were told hey learn what this is not ever thinking that this would matter we were all, you know, we were all sass heads. And so now there's this big push of like, okay, we're, we're converting every single day Excel reports to Power BI. They want everything automated. And so now it's like, okay, everything's going to be forward facing. Everything, we, just everything automatic. We, we want everything to be a push button refresh. And so now I think my day to day is just literally going into SQL or going into Excel and getting everything ready to go, to go into Power BI, transform the data and get everything ready to be just straight Power BI and just have it be a click of the button refresh. What database okay. do you use for SQL? For SQL? Yeah. We use Enterprise Data Warehouse at my job. Okay. Which, I mean, it's fine. I just don't... <laughs> It's okay. I'm not gonna complain about it. I'm not gonna complain <laughs> about it. I'm not because that'll that'll take another hour. I'm not gonna complain. About <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, gonna complain. If I complain, God said don't complain. You know, it's you gotta bear your burdens. Me and SQL used to be enemies, but we we becoming cool now. Mm-hmm. You know, been, Which, what do you my... use for your SQL? Which you because I like Toad. I mainly because right. I think it's cute and I like the little ribbit sound it makes when you fire that. So but... well, when I took when I took the <laughs> when I, I took the Google little... course, I was using a uh, BigQuery, but now now on my own time i i got attracted to postgres for some reason mm-hmm. so i've been using postgres um it's, it's real user friendly um i'm taking a lot of work on it now <laughs> yeah so i think postgres and mysql are going to be like the main ones that i that i use i'm also one of those people who don't feel like oh i need to learn every single thing like my one of my yeah. co-workers was trying to get me to like he was like oh you need to learn go ahead and learn python like i was like for what 
we never got like the engine like we never gonna use python in my department what for what purpose and mm. what stand am i ever gonna use python ever never yeah i'm not yeah. building websites i'm never gonna use python i'm never gonna i do need to learn tableau unfortunately hey. <laughs> okay <laughs> then. so you try to that, run from it it, it, I've I've only I've been using Py, I mean not Python I've been using Tableau lately because we house um certain data in there like we house um I, we house our baby data so I've been working mm-hmm. with like um like our data for um like babies and like our newborns and stuff like that because it's been known that you know with COVID and stuff like that, you know, everybody's been concerned about, and I had done an interview with the Telegraph about it. Like there were so many faux rumors and stuff about um, the vaccines harming, you know, your, your uh, unborn child and stuff like that. And so of course it's important for everybody in any kind of public health and medical means to be tracking baby data at this point. Mm -hmm. And so we house our pregnancy data and our public, uh, public health data, I mean, our pregnancy data and our baby data, unborn, newborn data and stuff like that in Tableau. Um, and so we pull our baby data from Tableau and then we put it into, um, we put it into Power BI. The thing that I do hate though, is that I'll never be able to use Power BI to its full capabilities. Cause when you're talking about protected health information, the fact that um, Microsoft Power BI like that Power BI service function, Jafar, you know what I'm talking about, like service being, like once you publish the data, service going over like that URL, Mm -hmm. like it being a URL going from like that desktop function, like, it was Tableau. So it's not, it's not in compliance. I didn't know it wasn't in compliance with HIPAA. It's not. It is not in compliance with HIPAA. (laughs) That's why we got Tableau. I mean, so you have, here's the thing. There were a lot, lot, lot of internal meetings at my job for almost a year or so. A lot of people were having a lot of meetings about it. There, we, like before we even really started for real using it because you know there are there are different built-in security functions about like who can see what in power bi like you can who can share Mm. what and even when you share things to different people there's there's a there's a feature where like okay let's say i'm sharing something with all three of y'all i can make it to where all three of y'all are seeing different things on one thing that i'm sharing in power bi um Mm. even so that is still an if I share something from the desktop downloaded version into from Power BI desktop to Power BI service, that is still an open URL as opposed to like a file being shared. That is an open URL sharing protected health information. That's mm-hmm. a no go. So that is, it's still like we can't, I would love to be able to like pull from SQL and have like live data running. Like, like a live stream of data and just have it stream like daily. I would love that. Like a live stream of data just run just running daily. Almost like um like if you go into your iPhone app and you see like a like the stock running yeah. every day. I would love yeah. that. Uh, it's, every it's single interesting day. that you say that from your perspective because I know in marketing that's something that that we would do, you know, depending on what we're tracking. Um, I would but you I, you can't do that when you talk about people's like diagnoses yeah. and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. People, yeah. You cannot do that. So, cause it's, you never know who's seeing stuff. There's a concern about, you know, people's, somebody being able to hack that. So you just always want to be mm-hmm. careful about like who's using what, who's, you know. So have, have you guys had to like, like with everything going on, 
have you guys had to like up your security? They've definitely they've de- they they limit what we uh, what files we able to share um, and stuff like that over Power BI. Some things will always live in the data warehouse. Some things will only ever be shared uh, via Excel files, person to person, like via email and stuff like that. Some things will just you know be sent as confidential files. Some things I'll never have access to. Like for example, pharmacy data, uh, like you know prescription data, stuff like that. Um, I've never worked with. Um, all, like a lot of our data lives in different places and stuff like that. Some things will never touch Power BI because if you publish mm-hmm. it out, it's over that um, protected URL. So some things will never live in in Power BI ever. Got you, got you. All right. Well, as we get to the top of the hour, I wanted to ask you, like, what? How do you stay current? Like, you know, with your tools that you're using and everything. What What are some things you do to stay current? You help a lot with that. I'd be paying attention um, with some of the resources that you post, and I do appreciate it. Uh, I also appreciate the fact um, my job helps a lot with that. They post um, series and um, free learning tools, like an endless supply and library of free learning tools to ensure that we all stay current um, because they want us to stay current and they want to foster our growth. And I love that about my job. Um, cause everybody who's been working at my job is working there like 10, 20 years. I know people who are a little bit older than me, who I know, I know one girl at my job, she's been there. Like, I think this is going to be her 10th year there. And she continues to turn down raises, not raises. She continues to turn down promotions because she refuses to work for anybody except her boss. Like she'll, he, and he just continues to give her raises. Like she refuses to do anything except work for him. And he'll just continue to promote her within that department because, she just loves like her particular role and the jobs like within that team. Like she loves working with her team, with her boss. And it's, it's just that kind of environment. Like once you find that role for you, like once you find like something that you really like to do, it's just, it's just, it's hard to leave it. And I can see myself honestly doing the same thing because I really like my job. I really like the fact that my boss encourages me to get better. Um, I remember being afraid to even turn on my computer when I first started. Because um, mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I was like, oh, shit. Because like, it's really hard. Like, mm-hmm. it, it, to me, it's never going to get easier because it's always going to be a new challenge. And I don't know if that's, I mean, I won't say it's a bad thing. I I won't say it's a bad thing to always be challenged at your job, but I never forget the stakes of my job because these, these, the work that we do is important. These are real people. It's not just numbers in in a system in a machine. And that that's a lot of pressure. Like that's a lot. That's that's people. You know what I'm saying? And that's I'm only three years into it. it's, It's still it's still the weight of that never leaves me. Um, especially given my background, especially given my parents and stuff like that. Like you, you got to make sure that, you know, you paying attention. Um, but I like the fact that they foster our development. And I like the fact that like our job cares about us and they care about like us getting better. And in the three years I didn't been there, I just try to get better. Like every day I try to get better. And I remember like the first, like the first day, like my old boss told me like, Hey, like, I want you to learn Power BI. I remember, like, sitting down with it for two weeks over, like, that Christmas break. And I was like, what is this? This is bullshit. Like, we ain't never going to use this. 
And, <laughs> and now like I log into it every day, like it ain't nothing. And like, I teach my boss what it is and I teach her how to look at it. And I'll be like, no, 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 this is how you do it. And I teach other, like I teach our big bosses, like what it is and this is how it looks and can put together a dashboard, like a full blown dashboard in like a day and a half and can feel confident in it going to whoever. Like we were ourselves, we report out to like government officials and stuff sometimes like or something can I'm confident in something going beyond me. Mm -hmm. And I'm proud of that. Like, I love that. I think that's cool. And I think that a lot of people in tech, I think, feel that way, that. Yeah. Something that can live beyond you. That's good that you know that you like your job in the environment. That's very important. You know, when when building your career and everything is finding a place that you feel like you can stay and not job hop, you know, so that's good. But um, yeah, we at the top of the hour. We got just a few more questions for you and we're going to go ahead and get up out of here. All about the data. We appreciate everybody that's tuning in. Make sure you subscribe on the YouTube the Spotify, the Apple, the Google podcast. Make sure you join the Discord. We almost have 4,000 members, so y'all already know what it is. All about the data, baby. Quant King J, I'm going to throw the football to you. Make a touchdown for me. What's going on? Yeah, this guy here. <laughs> 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 what the fuck I tell you? <laughs> oh, my gosh. All right, so I'll take Titan right now. Is <clears throat> Pawn. The technical writer advocate. Thank you, Pawn. He currently owns a <clears throat> Twitter community. Wait, that's Twitter? TW? No. No, uh, technical. Uh, sorry. Te- All right, cool. Pawn is a technical writer advocate, and he owns a technical writing community in this in Discord. He also hosts Twitter spaces to help people get into tech and also post tweets about JavaScript, React, and web development. Web development. Yeah, Thank shout you, out to Pond. Pond, man. Pond is one of my Twitter tech brothers. So we had a shout out as a tech titan uh, for this episode. And y'all, so, can find, y'all can find him on Elixir underscore JS on Twitter. And when, yeah, we're going to put him in the show notes. We're going to put him in the show notes. But uh, Gabrielle, before we uh, end this here, what advice do you have for people that's trying to pivot specifically into epidemic? Demiology, data analyst, data analyst. I'm gonna get that word right one day. Not stuttering. <laughs> um, hmm. um, let's see, let's see. What advice? What advice? Hook up with uh, if you if you black hook up with Black Epidemiology uh, uh, Twitter. Like Black Epidemiology Twitter will hold you down. I ain't met nobody fugazi, nobody scammy in there in the three years, three plus years that I've been a part of them. They all lit. They all they all about it. Um, Black and Effie, we hold it down. Um, and I would also say um, consider Tulane because um, they're trying to get their numbers up as far as um, people of color go. It's a good school. They they really did care about us. They definitely tried to foster your development. It's a great school for Effie. Top rank. I, I care about my alma mater. They try. They care about you and they take care of you. And I'd say um, look into like don't be afraid to invest in yourself. Like like look into it. It's flexible. It's a flexible career. You can do anything with it. You don't even gotta go be an epidemiologist. Like it, you can. A lot of people went to med school from it. 
like if you're looking for a pivot point from that, if you want to go to PA school, if you want to go to nursing school from Effie, like you can literally do anything from epidemiology. Like that's 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 your career point. It's very flexible. Look into it. Got you, got you. All right. And so what's what's next for you? What's next for Gabrielle? What's next for me? Um so me personally, I need to get probably about one more raise by the <laughs> beginning of next year. <laughs> what does that sound? <laughs> I guess say one more raise. You ain't playing. You try to pick I, I can't start next year, baby. I need to get one more raise uh, for the beginning of next year. Um, it's a lot of upper mobility, I'm telling you. Uh, I need to get one more raise at my actual job before the beginning of next year. Um, as far as my nonprofit goes, um, we are expanding our Girl Code program um, to North Carolina, Florida, Mississippi, and the DMV area, the DMV area for show this year, guaranteed to donate 100,000 um, organic cotton and menstrual products by the end of the year. Um, we've done this off absolutely no grant funding, straight donations, the streets with us. So make sure y'all do too. Catch us at www.thermoperifoundation.com if you support public health and support women. Um, and I'm just out here trying to Trying to make the world a better place, as corny as that may sound, but I'm trying to make Oh man, better. why it gotta be corny? That's good. That's lit. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're trying to make it a better place. We're good. Trying to make but, it a better place, man. Trying to make uh, it a better place. Uh, for real, I'm telling uh, you. I mean, uh, it was it was tough out here for me. Nobody cared about me when it was me. And I'm yeah. trying to make sure somebody cared about these women. Yeah, that's the biggest thing that all about the data stand on is helping people, you know, beginners helping beginners, experts helping beginners, experts helping experts. That's what that's what mm-hmm. it's all about. So we definitely appreciate you coming on the show. We appreciate everyone for tuning into all about the data. Make sure you follow Gabrielle. We're going to put all her information in the show notes. Give her a follow. Support the foundation too, man. It's a good cause. Don't shy away. I appreciate y'all. Y'all are great, man. Y'all are <laughs> yeah. This was lovely. Already, you know. So, um, you know, make sure once again, y'all follow about follow all about data on Spotify, YouTube, Google Podcasts, Apple. Join the Discord if you haven't joined already. Tap in the sequel Saturdays. We do it every Saturday at 1:30 p.m. Eastern time. So you can come on live if you miss it, then you can catch the replay. All right. With that being said, all about the data, baby. Peace. Bye.